Welcome to the Untold Arizona podcast, a series from KJZZ News. Hi, I'm Stina Sieg. Whether you were born here or you're new to the state, we're willing to bet there are some Arizona stories you may not know. Hoover Dam? Yeah, everybody knows about that. But we have a story about the very first dam. We're going to the Elvis Chapel. And no, it's not Gold like mine is about to reopen in Skull Valley. Have you ever stopped in Dateland for a date shake? The tepary bean weathered Arizona summers for some... How are archaeologists tracing ancient turquoise back to its source? 1960s. And while not as famous as Tombstone, it was just as bloody. This is Untold Arizona. In this episode, we're calling Offbeat Places. Take a trip with us off the beaten path. In this first story, we're channeling the king himself, exploring a piece of movie history that found its way to the middle of the Arizona desert. More than 50 years ago, Elvis and Priscilla Presley exchanged wedding vows in a small civil ceremony in Las Vegas. Their nuptials spawned a Vegas industry of Elvis-themed weddings. But an area east of Phoenix has a unique chapel connection to the king of rock and roll. KJZZ's Christina Estes takes us to Pinal County. About a mile from the Superstition Mountain, there's a large dirt lot home to a white wooden structure. It's the Elvis Memorial Chapel. Some people consider this sacred. It's Elvis. It's like a shrine out there. Charlie LaSuir is Arizona's official Western film historian. There really is a piece of Elvis here. The chapel played a prominent role in the 1969 Western Charo. Out of 31 movies Elvis starred in, Charo was the only one where he did not sing on screen. No trouble. Just ease away from the bar and you and I go outside. His only song played during the opening credits. With eyes that hide the man within. The chapel was part of the Apache Land Movie Ranch in Gold Canyon, a full Western set that hosted more than a dozen TV series, nearly 30 films, and many more commercials. A fire devastated Apache Land in 2004. The barn and the chapel were the only buildings left standing. They literally took the buildings apart and they rebuilt them here. He's talking about the 15-acre grounds of the Superstition Mountain Museum. Plank by plank, volunteers helped resurrect the chapel. The pews are original, but the stained glass window is new, and the steeple had to be replaced. Just make a move. That's all I ask, just make a move. Because not even Elvis could stop the bad guys from blowing it off. It's interesting. I knew nothing about it. I remember seeing the movie, but I didn't realized that this chapel was here. Visitor Carol Knutson doesn't remember much about Charo. Well, I was of an age where I was more looking at him than <laughs> worrying about what the movie was about. <laughs> she preferred movies with a singing Elvis, something actor Michael Dante experienced in another film, Kid Galahad. But before he could sing with Elvis, Dante had to fight him. Elvis gets in the ring with me and then hits me with it. Uh, after I pummeled him quite a bit, he finally hits, got mad and, and hits me with a shot and knocks me out. So the sequences that followed were sitting out on the, on the porch and singing. And Elvis comes out in the sequence. So I approach him and, and I said, whoa. What'd you hit me with? Bob? And he smiled, you know, and I said, well, come on. Come on, Joy. And he said, no, no, no. And I said, no, come on, come on. You got to come and see me. So I pull him away. 
and he comes to uh, sing with us. This is living. This is living. A lot of fun. We enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. Dante films several movies at Apache Land Ranch and appreciates the care that's gone into preserving the Elvis Chapel. There are a lot of uh, what they call one sheets. One sheets or movie posters line the walls and center stage reveals a life-size statue of the king. Black collar flipped up, blue guitar slung over his shoulder, hips reinforcing the nickname Elvis the Pelvis. But Elvis wanted to do serious work. He said, Michael, I want to do the things you do. And the studios wouldn't finance him to do a serious picture uh, after he had done Charles. They just wanted to do musicals with us. They saw, you know, the dividends, the profits were tremendous. The Frontier Chapel didn't feature a wedding in Elvis's movie, but today couples make the pilgrimage Western film historian Charlie Lesweer. It's like going to Vegas and go be married by Elvis in the Elvis chapels there. But this is the honest-to-goodness chapel that he actually shot in, not some facade that they made in Vegas. It's unlikely a single chapel in the shadow of the Superstition Mountain will ever match the wedding business from dozens of chapels around the Vegas Strip. But that's okay. Only Arizona can claim the chapel where the king of rock and roll played the king of the Western. I'll send for you. Christina Estes, KJZZ News, Pinal County. It's time to take a road trip. Here's a story about a sweet spot you've probably passed on Interstate 8. If you've ever driven to San Diego in the summer, chances are you've stopped in the unincorporated town of Dateland. At the very least, you've seen billboards for the Travel Center's world-famous date shakes. KJZZ's Sarah Ventry pulls off the highway for a snack and a history lesson. To be clear, this is how locals say it, Dateland, and it's super tiny. Date groves, an RV park, a travel center, a school that has a post office house there, a few homes, and an out-of-use military training airfield. It turns out the little town has a complicated history. My name is Roland Walker. Uh, my wife and I are the owners of the Dateland Travel Center and Date Farm and RV Park in uh, Dateland, Arizona. You may have picked up on a non-Arizona accent there. That's because Roland and Sharna Walker moved to Dateland from Calgary, Alberta. Roland's parents came to the Southwest as snowbirds, and then one day... It was on the news, by a town. The town of Dateland was up for sale. Well, sort of. That's how it was advertised. But it's small enough that buying up a few properties, including its namesake date groves, is enough to have essentially bought up the whole thing. I've had people from Germany, from Australia, from Russia, Canada. It's amazing how many people have heard of Dateland. That's Sharna Walker, the other owner. She's credited with branding the Date Shakes world famous and for marketing the town and its sweet fruits, which are really hard to grow. You gotta be careful with the thorns in there. I don't want you to get... Yeah. Step. It goes right through your tires, your oh, truck, your <laughs> shoes. Andrew Costanza works for a company that manages the farm in Dateland. Together, we walk through the date groves. And at this time of year... Our first tree operation is to remove those Thorns. You see these thorns? Mm-hmm. About four feet of them. 
That way you can, because the flower is going to come out that we have to pollinate in the middle of the crown. The date palms have these long fronds with thorns on the end. They almost look like the tips of an agave, but longer. Like a lot of people in Arizona, these palms are not native to the southwest. They were brought into the area from Morocco in the 1920s. The problem is if you get this in and it breaks off, it's like a uh, fishing hook. It'll keep going in. If you keep on squeezing it, it'll go in instead of coming out. And you have to have it removed medically by the doctor. Every step of this process is done by hand. There's really no machinery used to cultivate and harvest the dates. Dethorning, pollination, picking, all of it. And there are hundreds of varieties. But the most prized one is the medjool. It's just the sweetness, the, the, it's plump, it's actually good fiber. It's just a tasty fruit. Besides the date groves, Dateland used to be the site of a military airfield. And just outside of town were camps that allowed the military to train in harsh conditions during World War II. Some people say that Dateland was once home to an Italian internment camp, though KJZZ has never been able to find the records to prove it. Back in the travel center, customers browse t-shirts and tchotchkes and look through all the different kinds of dates in the shop. Even though most varieties of dates make a perfectly fine snack on their own, Roland finds plenty of uses for them. A couple of years ago, I developed a date steak sauce, a date barbecue sauce, date raspberry jam, date strawberry jam, date butter, and we make our date shake mix in a jar so you can take a jar home. Plus cookies, breads, muffins, pies, oatmeal, but on that desolate stretch of the eight between Phoenix and Yuma, the hot sun beating through the windshield, not much beats the cool, sweet taste of a date shake. Sarah Ventry, KJZZ News, reporting from Dayland. Now for a story I was happy flew across my radar screen. If you drive north from Benson long enough, past where the road turns to dirt, you'll reach the tiny community of Cascabel. Decades back, it was a commune. But in recent years, hundreds of new residents have flocked there to a haven for parrots in need of a home. But before we get there, let me say how many people truly love their birds, even when they sound like this. And methodically knock all the food out of their bowls and onto the floor. Then I look and think how clever and how much fun they must have had doing it. Right? Pat Rudikoff makes eye contact with Zeus, one of her four two-foot-tall cockatoos. He inches his fluffy white self toward her. They're my loves. Come, Come over here. But Rudikoff knows love is not enough. Not when her feather children, as she calls them, are almost sure to outlive her. And her human children don't want them. So she lives close to this. The Oasis Sanctuary, run almost entirely on donations. We have 800 birds here. I turn away birds every single day. Already this morning, Executive Director Janet Trumbull has had three calls and two emails about birds needing a home. She may have to say no to all of them. There's just so little space left. It's heartbreaking, and I'm going to cry just thinking about it. Getting a parrot is not like getting a puppy. A cockatoo can live 80 years. A macaw can pass 100. 
Trumbull says many people are not built for that kind of commitment, but the oasis is. We can't help every bird. Um, We take those that we can. For life. Birds here are not adopted. Those who can live out their days in aviaries. Tall, airy buildings filled with various things to eat and perch on and friends to make. But the sick, the old, and the ornery, they have their own cages and one of several trailers on the property. A kind of birdie nursing home. Good. Lillian Morphew tries to calm a speckled gray bird before giving him medicine. She doesn't know a lot about Igor, except that he's totally blind and says the same phrase over and over. Igor is a bad bird. So every time he says it, we try to go, no, Igor's a good bird. Another bird was found in a trash can with cigarette burns all over his body. For all these birds, Morphew is kind of a nurse and kind of a therapist. You know, hopefully they forget some of that really traumatic past. The healing can go both ways. Morphew remembers the first time a bird died while she worked here. She grieved heavily and says a sulfur-crested cockatoo named Skippy could feel it. And I just remember going into that room and him going, it's okay, Skippy kiss. And you're just like, you know, it makes you cry even more because you could just sense that he knew what was going on and he felt that pain and he was there for you. I mean, they are highly emotional. That's part of why Morphew and her husband have stayed here six years. Pat Rudikoff, from the beginning of the story, gets that completely. After her brother died 30 years ago, she remembers crying on her couch. And that's when Zeus, the cockatoo, jumped on her chest and started licking the tears from her face. That bird read my soul. He read my anguish, with, which was not verbal. It was purely a vibe. And he tuned into it. And in turn, she's dedicated her life to him and to as many birds as she can. She and her husband are on the Oasis board and split their time between Long Island and here. You know, we tell our kids all the time, we, we raise them, we put through, them through college, we gave them the best life possible, and the birds get our will. <laughs> and she's not kidding. While Rudikoff still hopes someone in the family will want these cockatoos someday, she's made plans for them to live right here, in the Oasis in their very own aviary. Stina Sieg, KJZZ News, reporting from Cascabel. You've been listening to Untold Arizona. This has been the Offbeat Places episode, with stories from KJZZ's Christina Estes, Sarah Ventry, and me, Stina Sieg. It was produced by Tiara Vianne. The stories were edited by Mark Moran. The digital team is Jackie High, Sky Shout, Kaylee Schufeld, and Jean Claire Sarmiento. For pictures, videos, and more, including a map of the places you've just heard about, visit untold.kjzz.org. Have an untold Arizona story of your own? Drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using the hashtag untoldarizona. And check out our Facebook group where you can connect with more people who love a good Arizona mystery as much as you do. I'm Stina Sieg. Thanks for listening.